Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 27, Episodic Structure and Pacing, part two of our Science of Storytelling series, recorded Thursday, October 3rd of 2013, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, Brandon, and Mike. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Brandon. And I'm Mike. Mike's back. Hooray. Yay. (laughs) Everyone's rejoicing. Yeah. I gotta admit, though, you kind of freaked me out right before we started recording, because you sent a rather cryptic email saying, I need to take care of some dot 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 business. Yeah, business Before we record. Well, see, I I didn't know if you were just, like, (laughs) afraid to say, be right there, bio, or if I was going to be an accessory to something. So... (laughs) One second, we have to dig the hole to bury the body. (laughs) Right. So, anybody have any actual news? Yes, I do. I have cleared the selection process, and I have written a story based on the campaign that I very briefly and abortively ran for Grant and Brandon. I wrote something in that setting that has been accepted into the Fear the Boot anthology titled Sojourn, which is going to be coming out at some point in the not-too-distant future. Oh, well, then then I've got news. Uh, Kark and the Dolls in the anthology also. Yeah, sweet. I also have news. Um, No, I don't. Okay. (laughs) Brandon, do you want to quickly refresh everybody on the Science of Storytelling series? Well, half refresh, half actually introduce, because... This was created after we did the last episode, so... This is going to be the second part of a ongoing series. I promise that we'll still have actual episodes that are not, like, guest host interviews or our various series. Last episode, I talked about narrative structure of sort of a movie plot, which is right. a lot of structure that you see in many uh, things. It's, it's the hero's journey. Today, we're going to be talking about episodic structure and hopefully pacing stories and possibly storyboarding. Uh, If we have time. If not, we'll come back to that later. Uh, Basically, a little on what this whole series is going to be. It's going to be us on the mic discussing how to better write and tell a story for role-playing games or anything else you're going to want to do. Because, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to tell a good Christian story, the first thing you have to be able to do is tell a good story. And when you say us, you mean you, because we don't really know what we're talking about at all. Well... All right. As as mentioned, I'm the person who has quote unquote formal training in this. Yeah. But everyone here has seen stories. They know what's yeah. good. They know what they like. I've like, seen if, stories. If the wisdom of the layman was not a good thing, then we wouldn't have the writers guild. Heck, we wouldn't even have the podcast. None of us are yeah. ordained. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's that. My so brother's I'm ordained. Sh- doesn't doesn't it count as uh, like family kind of thing? <laughs> Possibly. The one thing I did want to say is you probably know some of these things that I'm going to say, and you'll probably remember it and have things to talk about, which is why I'm talking to you guys. Sure. We're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff. If you have anything that you would like to add to our discussion that you did not think that we covered in this, or any other topics, or anything else you'd like to see us cover on the science of storytelling, please post about it in our communities. I am sure we will discuss it on there. Uh, so if you have any questions or comments, again, please use our G plus community. That is the quickest and easiest way to contact us. And then that way you can let what you know out to everyone who is looking for this answer. Yeah. And the the other point that I wanted to make is when we kind of sat down and realized that we were going to be able to make this into a series, we didn't really do so 
with an ending point in mind. This is going to be kind of an ongoing deal that we just kind of pepper in amongst our other episodes as we've got material to cover. So if you think that we've missed some key narrative technique or some aspect of it, we'll probably come back around to that later. Oh, but it would help if you let us know about it so we knew too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, And eventually um, we're going to run out of vices. This is going to be kind of, for at least the first few episodes, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of up on the 101 level, right? Where we're going to deal with some of the... Yeah the higher level stuff and the first few mm-hmm. installments of this. Okay. What was covered last uh, series was a pretty high level of storytelling. And what's going to be covered here is pretty high level also, uh, but I am going to try to get into some specifics on uh, how to tell stories in this, because episodic structure is a whole lot easier to talk about than narrative structure. Well, especially when you're, you know, not trying to brush through it like you were mm-hmm. for narrative structure. Yes. Yeah. Tightest episode ever, though. Yeah. <laughs> Tightest episode time limit ever, too, though. <laughs> it was great. We need to do that more. All right. Um, that was an exercise in speed talking is what that was. It was great. It was wonderful. So easy to edit. All right. Uh, shall we do our scripture? Yeah, let's. All right. Who wants to take uh, the first one we've got here, our Old Testament scripture? I'll take it. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. That was Genesis 1, 14 through 18. All right. And Mike, you want to take our New Testament? Sure. This is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Brandon. All right. This episode, we are talking about episodic structure. Which basically, uh, everyone here, I'm sure, is familiar with television. No, what's that? All right. Uh, ha, ha, ha. You know ha, it as ha, idiot ha. box. The boob tube, the idiot box, the family hearth. Uh, oh, the TV. That's what I play YouTube videos on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that thing that I've got covered under a blanket in a storage room because I watch everything on my computer. <laughs> All right, but but you're still watching television. This is true. You may be watching it on your computer on Hulu, but the thing is the format is still the television format, which is what we're discussing here. Like I mentioned, that thing back there was the movie format. Now, that's great. And if you'll notice, a whole bunch of stuff really happened in the narrative structure format. You started off in an ordinary world, and then, you know, there was a mentor and all this huge, great drama. And then eventually, the hero won in the end. Uh, But if you'll notice, television doesn't kind of work like that. I mean, it works like that, except for one very small thing. The arc of a movie or something like that is meant to hook you in for an hour, Mm -hmm. two hours, three hours at most, which is the length that the movie will run. And then after it's done, wash your hands of it, it's over. It doesn't have to entertain or engage you anymore because it's over. A TV show is significantly longer than any movie you will ever watch. Even with a first season, let's say it's a half an hour show and has 12 episodes, that's at least six hours of content. It also more closely mirrors a role-playing game. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was going to say, there's one-shot games that are very much the 
yeah, one powerful true. story arc as opposed to the episodic, okay, let's do the same thing repeatedly format. When you're talking about TV here, we're basically talking about kind of like the serial format. Yes. Um, not Family Matters, where every episode is about trying to get with Laura Winslow. <laughs> well, I here's the thing. I don't. I don't. Congratulations! Know that that's you've just broken Brandon. <clears throat> yeah. Um, um, and it turns out I have deleted Family Matters from my mind entirely, and I'm so grateful. Uh, I had no reaction to that. Anyway, one of the, the important things that happens with an episodic format, though, is that you sort of always end up in the same place that you started. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes it's really obvious, like a Monster of the Week show. Uh, I was listening to Sharkbone's episode on Cloverfield and Monster of the Week games just this week, and that's kind of what got me thinking about this. Something like Supernatural, there's a ghost or horror thing. A sitcom has some little situation that crops up that's embarrassing for somebody. Laura but Winslow. you never end up anywhere different at the end of it. Now, there's TV shows where that's not the case, anime series in particular, or small series, where there's a, a clear narrative arc over the course of Not the episode. I, I would say a lot of really modern TV shows like, you know, Lost or... Um, these are the serials I'm talking about, right? I mean, you have like 24, Lost, these kind of things that, that actually follow a real start and finish, and you get there, and you're, you know, you have your cliffhanger at the well, end of each episode. Well, Lost, yeah, they, they, they find some stuff and things out, but they're still on the island. They're still in the exact same place that they were. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing has really changed. Except Maybe for the later started. episodes where they're not. Yeah, but, they were off but, the island. Well, okay. But that didn't happen in one scene. That didn't happen in one season. That happened at the end of a season. Yeah. Season-ending breakpoints, I think, are something we're going to have to talk about. Yeah, that is that is definitely a thing that sort of breaks the rules. Is You can make major changes in this format. All right, so yeah. This is something that I'm going to read directly from Channel 101 Wiki. Okay. It's kind of the thing that turned me on to all of this information, and it's written by a guy named Dan Harmon. Uh, we'll probably put it in the show notes because this has a whole lot more on how to write uh, TV shows and, and movies and things like that, but this is on their story structure thing. Uh, movies can afford to blow up the Death Star at the end, all right? A feature film's job is to get you in the theaters and stay there, but a TV show has to hook you for life. Like, yeah. they want you coming back. They want it to be habit for me. Like, while there may be people who've watched their favorite movie over and over and over again, there are some people who picked up movies, watched them once, put them down, never seen them again. But with a TV show, they want you coming back because they want to give you exactly what you have. I know on the Fear the Boot forums, uh, we were having a discussion on uh, Big Bang Theory, and I brought this up. It's the fact that the point of TV in general, and sitcoms in particular, is that things don't change. Right. Yeah, they want to sell you the exact same thing they sold you last time because you bought it and you loved it and you want more. Whereas the same could kind of be said in movie theaters uh, and movies, but that's more of a product of the industry not wanting to go out and make risks. Yeah, the sequelitis because, thing that happens with yeah. a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is completely different from the storytelling, whereas that's something that exists and it's kind of outside of the frame of reference of how to write a good story because it's about how to run a movie business well this and tv it's an integral part of the story that things don't change because when things change people get confused unless it's a change that you've built up and you've earned over time right a change that's been promised and promised and promised and finally you get a payoff yeah and there is some problem with taking back changes that you've earned uh i'm going to talk about the tv show uh, glee 
I absolutely loved the first season of Glee. I was in show choir, so a TV show about show choir was awesome, and I loved it and everything. And then at the end of the first season, they get, or maybe it's the first part of the second season, they've made all this forward momentum. Everything I've gone through has just, it's worked out, it's worked out great. And they get to the season break, and it looks like all these things are changed. And then they come back from the season break, and they take everything back. Huh. That, I want to say, is a bad form of TV storytelling. Because... Right. They took all the four of momentum that was so hard fought and just pulled it back because they weren't ready to go in a different direction. And thus they retread the same ground, which is something okay. you have to be wary of when you do an episodic format is that you're not retreading the same ground. Because, yeah, Supernatural and Lost and all these other TV shows, they begin in the same place and they end in basically the same place. But the paths they take in each road are different and unique okay. and they build on each other. Let me try and formalize this a little bit. For an episodic structure, you need to have, roughly speaking, starting and ending in the same place. But through that, there has to be some narrative thread that is slowly progressing. Yes. Am I right? Now, obviously, sitcoms don't usually have that, or if they do, they don't start off with one. But particularly successful shows do have that. The Prisoner, for example you always felt like you were a little bit closer at the end of every episode to figuring out the big mystery of the island. The Pretender, which was a show I loved. It wasn't a good show, but I it was a show. So. I, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good, too. I, I found you can't go back to that one. I don't know why. I've gone back. It's fun. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Well, maybe I need to give it another try, then. Like, it's, it's dated, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, that one, it was a cool hook, and it was the same hook every episode, like you're talking about. But every episode revealed a little bit more about the main character and the organization and the conspiracy that might have been a conspiracy and might simply have been corporate policy, we're not sure. <laughs> then you feel like you come away knowing a little bit more. And I think that hooks both parts of our brain, the part that wants comfortable sameness every time, but wants to feel like we're not wasting our time with the same thing over and over and over. So can we go into that in a little bit more detail? Because... I think we need to establish what is meant by starting and stopping in the same place because obviously we don't literally mean that you start in a place and literally go to the exact same place. Well, then, then let me let me explain it by reading off of Dan Harmon's thing, which is what he's going to do. All right, movies can afford to blow up the Death Star at the end. In a sitcom version of Star Wars, however, the protagonists would have been desk clerks working in the hangar of a rebel base headquarters. In the dramatic series, he'd be an X-Wing pilot constantly making raids on the Death Star. But note that in both the sitcom and the dramatic TV version of Star Wars, the Death Star stays. If not, the show would end. Oh, uh, yes, uh, yes. Here's a good example, I think, which is pretty obvious. How I Met Your Mother. It ends when he meets his mother. When he meets her mother, that's kind of... That's the point, right? Because even the title <laughs> makes it pretty clear. <laughs> exactly. No, that's a, it's a good point. I think it's important to say that, you know, it's not the same thing happening every episode in a really obvious sense. It is, here's a new thing that happens this week. But within each episode, there's a small narrative arc. And it's very similar to that narrative structure that we talked about in yeah. the, the previous episode. You know, the three-act structure, building tension and a climax. But it's not a world-changing thing. The world hasn't changed. This particular obstacle has been overcome, or this particular scenario has been played out and dealt with. And in a role-playing game, that might be 
a dungeon of the week, it might be this particular murder. There are still other murders, and we're going to solve those, and they will have their own interesting and unique facets. But at the end of the session, next week, we'll have solved another murder. And maybe that'll get you one step closer to the man behind this string of murders. Right. You know, to a certain degree, some of the old dungeon crawling games sort of had this. It was a a dungeon of the week, encounter of the week, map of the week kind of thing. Well, that's why they were successful. They they were giving the people who wanted dungeon crawls what they wanted. It's next week we come in and there's still more dungeon. I love this. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that's bad. I'm just going to say that's not my thing. Sure. And even then, you had an encounter, and then another encounter, and another encounter, and another encounter. But all of that was building towards some eventual climax. And with, you know, a published module, obviously there's an end to it at some point. Yeah, at some point you're going to hit the bedrock at the bottom of the dungeon. Yeah. Well, see, I, I'm, just, I'm just reminded of the gamers and their joke of how they've spent years tracking the shadow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. The shadow. Uh, the shadow. And this has been around forever. Radio shows have always done this, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the old pulp serial radio shows. Doc Savage dealt with another science-y supervillain. Well, Mm -hmm. he's going to do the same thing next week. No. But this week was really cool. Adventures in Odyssey, which is the radio drama I grew up listening to, did the exact same thing. Like, they would teach you a moral lesson each episode. Now, there were some arcs. I remember listening to the Regis Blackguard arc, which was just a really interesting thing about this villain actually doing evil things in Odyssey. And it just built and built, and each episode, something happened. But it was almost the B story of the episode, hmm. which is a good way to think about it, is that your hunt fantastic for series. Adventures in Odyssey? Yeah. Yeah, it is. The one about <sighs> Noah had an arc, too, I think. Haha, <laughs> 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 funny. And, but yeah, it, it's almost like, like, well, we shut that, that pun was, down fast. Wow. Yeah, was, Bible, I made a Bible pun on a Christian podcast, and you guys just go right over it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, I, I just page it into the ground. Like, just <laughs> wash over it like a whole bunch of water. Anyway, so. <laughs> just just flooding it, it right out now. of here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got nothing. Two of each kind. All right, let's let's continue. <laughs> let's move on. Doves. All right. I just start saying things now. They're good enough. But yeah, I think we've, at this point, explained and maybe over-explained the structure. Brandon, part of this that you wanted to bring up is pacing. Well, honestly, I haven't yet even given them, like, talked about the, structure? the different, yeah, the structure itself. Okay, so let's talk so, about the structure of yeah. this then, Brandon. Yeah. Let's get into the details. There's two structures I'm going to go over. The first one I'm going to go over briefly because uh, this is Dan Harmon's structure, and this is a structure for every TV show. Uh, It's an eight-part structure. The one I have is a six-part structure. I kind of cut two things out and combined them. Um, Take that, Dan uh, Harmon. No, he's writing for TV shows and for people making things, and I'm writing for people who are trying to make a role-playing game. Indeed. So the first part is I. You always start a TV show addressing where the heroes are right now and the things that they're going through. Uh, the second part is, notice a small problem. Because if you notice, like, in every TV show, this works great in Seinfeld. Like, you always start, first off, you have Seinfeld, and he's, <laughs> he's doing something, and then he gets an idea for something, you know, crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I can't pour my milk into my cup properly. It spills everywhere. And so, you know, or maybe George does that, or, or something weird, because George was always the neurotic person making shady deals on Seinfeld, if I remember. Anyway... Then you go to this third part, which is it makes a major decision. So they've got this milk all over the place. And so George decides, I'm going to make an invention that gets the milk 
into your um uh, into your cup without causing him milk all over the uh, over the place. And so he goes out and he he does and he makes this invention. All right. Step four. This changes things. Basically, as he's gone out, he's made this invention. It's a success or something like that, and the world is different now. Either it's a success or it's a failure, whatever it is. Let's say in this one, it's a wild success because it's this uh, Seinfeld plot, and they're always wacky and zany like that. Um, and then that comes just to step five, to some satisfaction, but uh, the choices that the people make work good. And uh, they get something good out of it because you don't want to punish them and just make it seem like they're always doing the bad things. So he's made a whole lot of money. But then we go to rule number six. There are consequences. The consequences are someone already has a patent for this idea and they're suing it. And so now he's got a lawsuit on his hands from this milk device that he's been making and selling and with, without going through a lawyer. And there's all sorts of uh, zany, wacky weirdness. All right. Okay. And that gets us to point seven. That must be undone. Now he has to find a way to get rid of this lawsuit for his milk pouring device. This thing that was so good is now so horrible. And so got to find a way to deal with that. After that, we come to point eight, which is in TV shows and must admit the futility of change. The point of TV shows is the fact that everything is cyclical and you don't get anywhere. George is right back to the very beginning place, having gone through this adventure, still the same person. And because it's Seinfeld, we learn nothing because one of the rules of Seinfeld was no hugs, no lessons. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, yeah, if you watch many sitcoms, especially, that you'll see that. Also, as you said, in, it goes the exact same thing with um, uh, Supernatural and other TV shows, where right. there's a, there's an issue going on, and someone does something about it, and it's good, but it's also bad. And so you have to figure out a way to deal with that, and so that kind of goes into consequences. I've sort of refined this into a six-step program, which is just something that people running a role-playing game should keep in the back of their minds. When they're doing an episodic style of game. Any anyway. game. Any game. Okay. Even if you're doing a narrative game, I would still recommend doing something like this for minor plots or especially in the middle of episodes. Now, quick question. Is this per session or is this more for group of sessions or the whole campaign or... Is the answer all the above? Yeah, the answer is all of the above. Okay. That's usually the answer with storytelling, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you basically have, you know, your, this is this is true for this episode, and it's true for the entire plot, and it's true for mm -hmm. this one thing that happens in the episode. Yeah. Well, the sentence that I have here is, I see a problem and decide to do something. That helps the situation, but something else happens related to one of my actions, and I must deal with that so the world can be right again. Okay. Each clause there is one of your six points. Yes. Uh, the, the I see a problem is the first one, because when you're doing a role-playing game, you confront them with a situation. Uh, the town is being, uh, what's it called? Uh, flooded. Extorted. Yeah. If flooded or extorted or something. It's so flooded with water. Flooded. Yeah. 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 Something terrible is happening to the town. Yeah. Something terrible is happening. The town is being flooded, and so the party has to make a decision. And they go out and they do something. And the greatest part about that part number two is you don't write that. Right. Okay, so let's say that the party goes and finds the source of the flooding and they collapse a hillside to block it off and make like an artificial dam. All right. That's good, so, actually. I like and, that. And as a GM, I actually thought that that would be a thing that you guys are doing, which is another thing you have to think of, because while you don't write that, you have to think of a couple different ways it could go and plan for that. So when your players throw something at you, you can... You need to have at least one option in your mind already for number two, because if the party is paralyzed with indecision or can't come up with anything, 
you need to be able to hint at a course of action that will progress their plot. Well, you need to have two. You need to have, one, the course of action, uh, and two, right. them doing nothing. You need to know what both of those things are. Yeah, but I'm saying if you know if they want to do something but can't figure out what, you need to be able to give them hints. Yes, that is another yeah. good thing. But anyway, so that helps the situation. Now let's say Peter and his infinite wisdom has gone out there riding as this cleric earth mage person and just, boom, he's thrown up a huge wall of rock that has blocked the river and it's, you know, now flowing in a different direction. And so the city is saved. They're all happy and they're sunshine and roses and there's a festival in your honor and they're carrying you through the streets. Uh, well, until you three. realize you've disrupted a major shipping lane. Uh, yeah, or the fact that you've diverted the water into two other towns is what I would say. Yeah, and now yeah. they're coming in and they're getting ready to attack the third town. Oh uh, Yeah, I was going to say you um, you diverted the water. It's gone into a cave and now the goblins have been washed out and are... As they're migrating away, looting the town. Well, I mean, they've been forced to wash. You know, that makes goblins really angry. I was going to say mess with the dragon, because dragons make everything better. Yeah, like, (laughs) you've you've diverted water into a dragon's cave, and now the dragon is attacking, and all of a sudden, everyone who's holding you you up on their hands in celebration are now holding you up there going, it was him! Eat him! (laughs) (laughs) So, now the players have to deal with that. Depending on how they deal with this, you can either make this back at step one and just continue through the loop again, or actually go to step six, which is so the world can be right again. Now, let's say you don't have anything planned, and this is this is going to be the end of this little storyline, and the, you say, all right, well, um, they have to deal with the dragon. And so the person goes up, and they either slay the dragon, or they talk to the dragon, and they're able to help him out, and the dragon actually ends up becoming a guardian of the town. Well, the world is right again. And also, you'll if you notice, they have made a change to the world. The world is not in the exact same place it was when it began, but the party hasn't won the day. Yeah, the party wizard has had to spend three days making mop golems to clean out the dragon's lair. and. But what it lets the party feel is, I've just changed the world. This, there's a dragon now guarding this town, or I just killed a dragon and saved a town. Either one of those is, is a goal that lets them feel awesome, even though they haven't toppled the big huge wizard that they're after. Yeah, if this was a uh, police procedural kind of game, a Mutant City Blues, something like that, hey, this bad guy, he's in jail now. There's still other bad guys out there, but this one is dealt this with. This one, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe he's the henchman of the guy. Yeah, maybe you've dealt the mafia a serious blow. You've arrested a lieutenant and have him dead to rights on some of these charges. He's going to jail, yeah. you know? And once that happens, and once you get to six, you go right back to one. Now you find a different problem. Or as I said, maybe five is just another new one. Like, let's say they bring out the dragon and the dragon's roaring and things like that. And they decide to kill the dragon. That's a problem. And they've just decided to do something. Yep. And so um, your number four can actually just go back to be number one, depending on how you want to tell the story. So let's say we've, we've got this dragon thing. Four comes out. They see a problem. It's the dragon. And they must decide to deal with it. So let's say the party decides to kill it instead. And that helps the situation again, because now the town is saved again. But there's something else related to it. Maybe the dragon has friends. Maybe the dragon was a guardian of something else. And they have to deal with that. Yeah, that makes sense. The other thing that occurs to me is that that point number four, where something else happens, you you know, you did the right thing, and then here's this other consequence, that makes a great cliffhanger for another session. Hey, you've done this thing, you've done good, you've made progress... 
and then somebody comes in saying, hey, that thing you did, it's caused this other problem. Well, and That's I think this mirrors with. life well, because a lot of the time you can kind of sort of fix a situation, but the law of unintended consequences takes over a little bit. And Yeah, we, that, that's true. But what I'm saying is that moment when the players at the table realize, oh, there's more to this than I thought. There's this consequence we're going to have to deal with now. That's a good time to call it a night if you have to. That's a great cliffhanger moment. Oh, yeah. That'll keep your players wanting to come back next week. And if yeah. you make it a cliffhanger moment, that definitely is a, is a number one and not a number four. Yeah. Unless oh, you're right, wrapping yeah. up something big in like a series of these. Because especially in an episodic game, I don't think you want to go from problem to problem to problem to problem to problem without some moment where you can sit back and say, this chain of events, it's finally done. You've dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah, I, think I can if you actually watch think anime, of a couple of genres where you do want to just go from problem to problem to problem. That's very um, typical in, like, say, survival horror or any kind of zombie fiction. Uh, no, this is actually going to get into pacing, but I disagree with you. But we have Michael wants to say something. So, Michael, go. <laughs> I was just going to say something in regards to if you ever watch an anime, um, a really common thing is you go from problem, problem to problem. But then you have the one or two episodes in between problems where the entire episode is them, you know, eating their noodles or... Oh, the beach episode. Yes, or they go to the beach. I mean, this this is what you do, you know, because you, you've you earned your time off and you just destroy the giant demon. But now it's, now it's time to go eat hamburgers. You know, this this is the episode. And so you yeah. have your little bit of a break between, uh, between these different problems. And let me say, that break is definitely, definitely important. Because, well, yes, you are right, Peter, that there are a lot of genres that absolutely thrive on constantly keeping your players uh, dealing with the next problem, dealing with the next problem. The thing is, if you do that, I guarantee your players are going to burn out. I guarantee your players are going to go, but we haven't been able to rest. Even if it's just a night, even if it's just a night where they get to go, okay, we've solved this little thing. I want to take a break from this. And the other good thing to notice about is maybe your actions have larger consequences. Oh, and I actually don't disagree with you on that, but isn't that kind of burnout part of certain genres? No, that is bad. No matter what, it is bad. You don't want to burn out your players. Ever. Yeah, but I mean, isn't like the heroes getting burnt out and stuff a big part of certain stuff? Well, okay, Peter, here's, I think, the thing. I think the hero is burnt out is a problem that you can use as part one of an episode. It's been a long series. The hero has done thing after thing after thing after thing. Today's problem, he's tired and doesn't want to do it anymore. How do you fix that? It's a different problem, and it's got a different resolution that's got to happen. But it's still the same series of problems. You're just not using swords this time. Right, yeah, exactly. And I, I can see that, but I, I think in some of the genres that I'm thinking of, that never actually gets solved. It's like, no, you, you just don't get to rest. It is going to just keep grinding these characters down. So how do you model that without, I guess, disengaging your players? There's going to be continuity, right? Right. I mean, you're never going to have, especially in a series like what you're thinking of, you know, like The Walking Dead or something like that, you're never going to have an episode disconnected from everything that's gone before. That's not how that genre works. True. But there are times when things have to look up for those really dark moments to kick back in and actually be effective. All right, Peter, 
you're talking about the characters being burnt out. I'm talking about the players being burnt out. Now, I can definitely burn out my players, especially thinking about things like D&D if I don't let them rest. Like, no, you can't sleep. Your characters have to travel. But the thing is, if I give them downtime roleplay, they're on the road. Nothing is currently happening right now, but they still have to keep moving so they can't really rest and recuperate all that well. I'm letting them get some downtime from action. I'm letting them, you know, they get to a town and, and they get like just a little bit of rest. They get to do shopping and things like that. That can be a little bit of a, a way you do this. However, it is still very, very likely that you will burn your players out at the same time, which is why you have to be very careful about this. Yeah, okay. you can't keep withholding the reward, you know, because there's, there's a little bit of a, a reward that you're dangling out in front of your characters. Hey, this chain of events, eventually it's going to resolve itself. Well... You can't keep putting that off forever or people are going to get frustrated and give up. Uh, I've done it myself. Not the dangling up the reward, but the giving up. That, that's happened before. Now, what you can do, I think, is put some of those consequences off. It doesn't have to be perfectly linear, right? You can seemingly pay off one sequence of events, right? The world is writing in and you start another one. And those happen. And then you pay that one off. And it turns out the first sequence of events didn't actually get completely resolved here's this other thing and so you get these leapfrogging little what is it Aaron Stack called them petty little victories yeah petty little victories and they leapfrog each other and you have an A a B a C maybe a D plot however crazy you want to get with it but you can wrap up one sequence of events and then something else happens yeah and the greatest thing about it is you you could only even have like let's say you only have an A plot and a B plot going on but you've got plot C, plot D, plot E, plot F, which are all just little tiny things going on. So you, you could be down with plot XA and still plot A is going to come back up. Like, you know how you thought that you dealt with this all the way back there and it's been like routinely coming up? It's come up again. Peter, your comment about keeping people burnt out actually leads to the other thing that I really wanted to talk about, which is the importance of pacing in your story. Okay. And emotional change, which is kind of what I personally mean by pacing. Uh, you, you also have to pace action and things like that, like uh, tense scenes and less tense scenes. Uh, I don't have the chart for that, and I'll eventually probably talk about that later. But basically, the whole point is that you want every scene in any story that you write to have an emotional change in it. You either want it to go from good to bad, bad to good, or possibly bad to worse, or good to excellent. Uh, although you want to make sure you limit going from bad to worse and good to excellent as much as possible. Yeah, changes of degree don't have the same impact as changes of direction. Yeah. Brandon, before you get too involved, can we just talk about what pacing is and define it so we you know, kind of understand what we're talking about here? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the dictionary, have... dude. I don't know. So I have to admit, I'm kind of with Mike on this. I don't really know how you would define pacing. Walking back and forth. Well, it's the speed at which the story progresses, right? I mean, it's... This is what Webster say about it. A step made in walking. So A helpful. unit of length... Actually, you know what? To... I'm going to go with Peter's definition. Yeah. Peter's definition is, is right. What were you saying again? It's it's the Sorry. pace at... Well, it's, okay. I'm, let's avoid the circular <laughs> definition. It's the, it's the rate at which the story progresses. So if you've got a story with slow pacing your key events come far apart. If you've got one with fast pacing, they come quickly and together. A good example of the latter would be like a Matthew Riley novel where something starts happening on page three and the action is like 
it's like one gunfight to chase to, you know, disaster to explosion until the end of the book, 400 and the, pages later. The former would be well, Dragon Ball Z, where yes. it takes an entire season for somebody to charge up enough power to do one attack. Well, see, that's the difference between good and bad pacing, because I've, I've heard that joke a whole bunch. <laughs> and the thing is, a lot of the pacing of a story is what we've been talking about last episode. The narrative structure is basically the pacing of the story. By last episode, you mean the last episode of this series, right? Last episode of the series, yes. Okay. <laughs> no, no, in, in our, in our, like, uh, our episode on, on mercy and patience, we talked a lot <laughs> about this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what I meant to say is that it's inherent in every story, and if you follow the other structure, you should get it uh, with the way the story will be laid out, because if you notice, most stories follow the exact same pace. Something good happens, something bad happens. Something good happens, something bad happens. You kind of want to go from highs to lows. Uh, this is actually a point that was brought up by a forum user who got really, really upset that we didn't apparently cover this last time <laughs> and didn't know that we were continuing on in a series. Well, in fairness, neither did we, so... Yeah, well, we didn't know it at the time of recording, but... I wasn't even there. After. The way that Noble Bear put it is, you want to start off with, what's the worst thing that could happen to your character? And he used uh, Breaking Bad as an example. Walter White gets cancer, and he's trying to provide for his family. And then, what's the best thing from that can happen to him? Basically, he kept saying, is you, you want to keep thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then, out of this, what's the best thing can happen? And because of that best thing, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, which is something that you do have to put into it. But a lot of times, you just have to think about... What's the emotional change you want to go on in the story? Like, let's say you're, you're writing a story about a lawyer who's married, and you want to start it off at a high in the scene and go to a low. And the high is the fact that right, so he just got out of this huge case, he, he's made himself a partner at the firm, and everything's happy, he gets home, and the wife is divorcing him. So the scene definitely starts out very positive and has gone to very negative. The next scene after that, we're probably going to be kind of negative, so we might want to start going off and try to see what's the best thing that can go from there. And I, ha I have a reading here from Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. Believe it or not, an emotional change like this must occur in every scene. If you don't have it, you don't know what the scene is about. Until you figure out the emotional change for each of your 40 cards, this is talking about sort storyboarding, using a simple plus-minus code, don't start writing. If you can't figure it out, throw the card away. Odds are it's wrong. While many, like Robert McKee, believe that these pluses and minuses must be strung together like uh, plus to minus, minus to plus, plus to minus, minus to plus, up against each other in an undulating wave of highs and lows, I think that's taking it a little far. Uh, so you can have a scene that starts out high and then goes low, and then the guy sort of leaves and, you know, gets a little minor scene where he, he, he starts thinking about something else. He's at another high and it brings him down to another low. Uh, especially if you have two characters experiencing different things, then you could match them up in right. weird, interesting ways. But the thing to remember is that you should strive in your storytelling, especially in your scenes, to have going from either an emotional high to an emotional low for the characters that are in it, because that's sort of where investment comes in. The second place that investment comes in is in conflict, which is another thing that you're going to want in every scene that you have. Because conflict doesn't have to be fighting. It doesn't have to be violence. It doesn't even always have to be haggling a merchant or anything like that or, or arguing with a king. What about internal conflict? I mean, I guess I mean, you wouldn't have that in a role-playing game probably, but there's still a possibility. You could. I think you'd, it'd have to be sort of like a, a spotlight on that character 
publicizing the internal conflict the same way you do internal conflict in a TV show. Well, you make it evident that the character's being pulled in two different directions. And you can certainly have conflict between the characters and their environment, too. I yeah. mean, you stick people out in a snowstorm or something, and you've got conflict. Even if one of the parties is just, you know, physics in action, there's a problem there. Uh, the one thing I would say about how to make a character with a self-internal conflict, that works great in a system like Fate. You take two of their aspects, compel them both at the exact same time to do opposite things. Hmm. Um, yeah. You've just thrown the spotlight on this character. You've got two conflicts. How are you going to resolve them? And, uh, it's not just Fate. I mean, it works very well because those aspects are they're written right there on the character sheet. They're really mm-hmm. obvious. But, I mean, I've, we've done the same thing in Mage. I've, I've done the same thing in a D&D game. I mean, it's yeah. easier in Fate, but it's not unique to it by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing GURPS, you can start prodding, you know, somebody's disadvantages or something. It's basically grab a character hook and twist. Yeah, or grab two hooks and pull at the same time and see which direction they go in. Yeah. Or maybe they go in, a, in entirely in a third direction. The right-hand rule of character motivation. Okay. <laughs> And the other thing that I wanted to mention is conflict is interesting, and that's why you need to make sure that you have conflict in your games. Because a (laughs) game without conflict is basically people sitting around going, okay, well... uh, Hey guys, you want to go to the mall? Yeah. Uh, I water my lawn, and... I'm going to the food court. Yeah, which which is one of the reasons why I've continually, in my mind, had a bad image of GURPS. Because my first introduction to the concept of GURPS was the Fear the Boots story of Gurp's trip to the lake. At which point I'm like, where's the conflict? You know, <laughs> let's go down here and, oh, I don't want this salsa. I want that salsa. Brandon, I don't want to spend too much time on conflict simply because I think we could turn conflict into a whole episode on its own. And probably should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This but, is something that I want to come back to, but I, I thought it was important to hit here. Yeah, no, we've got to is, call it out. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to think about the best way to make your characters have something to do to drive them. Because if they don't, characters will sit there. Yes, we've we've proclaimed that RPG characters are the most proactive characters ever because they tend to want to engage. But if there's absolutely nothing to engage with, they'll stop. And this is why a good player, you know, puts this conflict into their, you know, initial character description because they want to give the GM something to work with there. Yeah. Absolutely. And it makes them more interesting, obviously, too, than, than some one-sided character who has no intention of doing thing or wanting to overcome anything. Yeah. An interesting character is not made by, oh, well, I've got this really cool power that I use. No, an interesting character is someone who, like, has this weird conflict. Let, let me speak to this directly, actually, because I'm actually dealing with this right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been in this long-running game, uh, and when I say long-running, I mean it's been going for over eight years now. It's using the Birthright setting from 2nd Edition D&D, and I've had this character in it. It's like an 18th level character, right? Very attached to him. I decided for this upcoming session, I had to set that character aside and make a new character. Because all of the conflict that that character started out with, and all of the goals that he started out with, had been met. He didn't have any motivation left to be anything other than an NPC. You know, and this is a character that I'd, I'd created and was somewhat attached to. Less attached to now because it was a character I made eight years ago and I'm a very different person than I was eight years ago. But its time had come. There was nothing left driving that character as a protagonist, right? So when I'm making a character as a replacement, one of the things I'm actively working on 
is coming up with tensions between that character and the world around him, that character and the rest of the party, because that's fun, and tensions between that character and the antagonists that we have already established in the game. That way, there's a reason for him to be in a scene and be played. There's a reason for him to engage with the plot. And that will be so much better than this other character that I had, because honestly, I, I was heel bot. Except it was, in this case, make the plants grow bot. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting back and going, yep, bless land, bless land, bless land, that's my turn. I am gardener bot. <laughs> it's, that's really kind of what it was. It was like, water the crops and you, fertilize you were, them. You were the uh, fantasy equivalent of a combine in an irrigation system. Yeah, exactly. And that's boring. There's no conflict there. All of the conflict that he's had, that character had dealt with it. He'd accomplished all of his goals. It was time to move on. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right that if a character doesn't come in with conflicts ready to go, and it doesn't have to be internal conflict necessarily, but it's got to be something that he's going to come into conflict with at some point, baked into that character, or it the GM's going to have to come up with something, and it's going to feel artificial if it happens at all. Yes. It can maybe be inherent in the character. This is the sort of character who will conflict with anything like this, but he's got to have something. Oh, it could be, uh, I'm an orc. I'm going to hate every elf I come across because those elves. Yeah. So, since we want to come back to conflict at some point... I probably want to come back to uh, making conflicts interesting and even going more about storyboarding. But I, I wanted to express that emotional changes, which I'm calling emotional pacing, in your story is important to think about. Okay. Uh, are your characters at a low point? Try to get them to a high point. Are your characters currently at a high point? Let's pull the rug out from under them. Okay. Which, which is exactly what it was saying back here in the episode structure, is they see a problem. Maybe that's a neutral point, and then they decide to do something. That's that's kind of neutral, but it, you know, what it is. And that helps the situation, which will put them up at a high point. But then something else happens as a result of their action that's going to put them at a low point. But they're going to have to deal with that, which when they successfully deal with that is going to put them at the high point because the world will be right again, or they have helped and saved the problem, and then you put them back at another low point, which is why I right. wanted to discuss this as we talked about this, because it tied directly into one. Yeah, we've pretty much come full circle on that one, I think. Yeah. Like I said, this, this doesn't even happen sometimes in movies. Uh, for the example of Van Helsing, one of the first scenes, it, it, he fights like these three lady vampires in the city, and he kills one of them. He sees a problem and he decides something to do with it. And it helps the situation. He stops the attack, but then everyone's at him. Because, well, you're, you've just made things worse for us. Right. Dracula's going to be angry at us because you've done yeah. this thing. Yeah. Yes. So this even happens in narrative storytelling. Which is why I said this is for any type of story. Whether you're telling an episodic story. And when you get to the end, you want to be able to pay off and make the world have changes. Because if you just keep taking back what everyone cares about and what everyone has worked hard for, they're going to resent you. Okay. Unless it's a big, huge plot reveal, like, boom! You want to give them their their victories that they've earned it. Alright, so do we have anything else to add to this? Probably not. I think that's everything. We're probably going to hit how to storyboard and how to do interesting conflicts. Storyboarding would help me out. So, yeah, storyboarding, conflicts. Yeah, it would help me out, too. Conflict, for me, one of the things I wanted to talk about later on was how to have protagonists that change over time, because that's one of the necessary features of being a protagonist. Mm -hmm. When you have someone who doesn't change, well, they're not all that central to the story. 
Yeah. The, the only characters that shouldn't change in your story are the villains. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to talk about that. Some of that may be conflict as well. But yeah, I think we've pretty much run episodic structure to ground yeah. at this point. So, yeah. And if you follow these and follow narrative structure, I guarantee your games will get better. Uh, yeah, I, because I already feel folks. more confident about running the game I've been trying to run for a while. Because I consider and go, okay, instead of what do I do next, it's okay, how do I get them from this point where they're at to the low or high point that's coming next? And that's much easier, it, you know, when you've narrowed the scope of your decision-making down that much, it's easier to come up with the right answer. It's easier for people to think inside a box. Yeah, like, exactly. If you, yeah, if, you give, if you don't give them constraints on creativity, most times they'll come up with nothing or the exact same thing. But if you say, I want you to think of a story about an elf, okay, well then, that's given them something to their mind to jump off of. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, Brandon, thanks for walking us through this. This has yeah. been a huge help for me. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Yep. I hope it's been a help for everyone else. And if you have any comments or questions, please post them on our uh, G Plus community so that you can share with everyone else and have a discussion. And I can know what else we need to cover and talk about and what I need to learn about so I can help you guys tell better stories. And, and remember that games. Brandon personally guaranteed this will make your games better. So if he doesn't make it better, yeah, right. Yeah. You need to contact him directly and tell yeah. him it's his fault. All the money you have personally given me, I will refund. There you go. My advice doesn't help you. Twice <laughs> over. <laughs> there you go. Twice one, over. One hundred percent money back guarantee from guarantee. Two hundred percent guarantee from this podcast that I'm not paid for. So uh, <laughs> that's right. I will give you one hundred percent of these zero dollars that I'm getting from this. So there we go. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening, and from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good night. Yeah. Have a good one, people. Good night, everybody. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.